0: This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for, oh, let's see, Saturday, March 24th, 2018. Today, we are talking about secrets of science fiction. We are talking about Pacific Rim, Peter Rabbit, and Our very, very special guest, Jason Anspach, who is co-creator, and from what Nick says, the primary creator of the hottest new property in science fiction today, the military SF series, Galaxy's Edge. And I myself would like to say that I've read all the Galaxy's Edge books and the short story, I think they're great. You might uh, want to give them a try. And they are now out. The first two are out in audiobook, which means they are available for you to listen as you go. Do something else instead of focus razor sharp on the scintillating text on the page. So if you are one of those shameful people who waste their time listening to books and not reading them, It is prepared for you to do so. But before we do that, let me allow my fellow host to say a big hello. That was your week, man.
1: Doing good, Daddy Warpig.
0: Was it a great week? Was it an exciting
1: week? Was it a week the likes of which the world has seldom seen? I'll treasure this week for the rest of my life.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Anything uh anything great you want to talk about on the show?
1: Well, it's uh nothing special happened, but I got in another game of Gloomhaven and I'll keep saying it for the next year or so on the podcast. It is the best board game available to play right now. It's outstanding. Like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign in a box.
0: And we talked about that 2 or 3 weeks ago, right?
1: Yeah. So I every every couple of weeks I get in two or three scenarios of Gloomhaven.
0: And and is your it, 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 that's the permanent game, right? With the persistent modifiers? Yeah. Anything cool and interesting come out of that? Do you have you gained any insights
1: into that as like a design choice? It's uh, it creates a, a a lot of excitement around what comes next. So it does it does two things. When you play a great board game, you really enjoy that experience and you and you you're trying to win, you're enjoying the mechanics, you're enjoying interacting with the other people at the table. It's a great experience by itself. And making it a legacy game adds that additional excitement of now that we're done, you know, we just had a lot of fun playing that scenario and we just open up one or two other scenarios and now we've got three or four to choose from. What are we gonna do next? What are we gonna, you know, what what am I gonna go buy at the shop for my characters and and stuff like that? So it's that great, uh, melding of that that RPG, what's next experience with the board game experience. Awesome. Um, also, so movie.
0: Speaking of Gloomhaven, what do you think of Pacific Rim?
1: Uh, I thought it was it was not that great, but. It's got a couple of reasons for it, but it did have giant robots, and they did fight giant monsters, and it happened in Tokyo. So, I believe it it had it had three main bullet points to hit, and it hit them. Um, I
0: I took like four lines of notes for it. it in contrast, for Peter Rabbit which I ended up at unwillingly. It was against my will, literally. I'll tell that story later when we get to Peter Rabbit. I took like four lines, five lines of, of notes here. Let's see. Pacific Rim Uprising. Um, it's Transformers 5 beginning. If you've seen Transformers 5, the beginning of that and the beginning of this movie are pretty close to the same. Um, Wow, I have awful handwriting, <laughs> man. When I'm writing in the dark on a notepad where I can't see, I have awful writing. I should have rewritten this like I did for last
1: week's show. Well, we're gonna we're gonna save lots of people <gasps> heart. We're gonna save a lot of people heartache. Uh, as uh, I, I guess Jason hasn't seen it. Um, the I had a question about the little girl.
0: Uh, she builds builds her own mech and then escapes out the door. And I counted three people she murdered on the way out the door. She literally stepped on a guy in her mech and then knocked some stuff over and killed two other people. She should not be up for um, illegal construction of a a Jaeger. She should be (laughs) up for murder one. Holy shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just one of the many head scratchers during the, and this is the worst part. uh, The first act is like the half of the the movie. I I, I just want to wax about this
0: for just a second longer. Am I wrong or is accidentally killing an officer of the law while in the commission of another crime? Is that not still murder one? They treat that as murder one. It's it's a enhancement to the penalty. I, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but holy
1: crap! Yeah, you're you you're not crazy. Uh, when 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 the crime is running around with a a giant mecha, pe- people are gonna die. Um. Also, this was the
0: uh, Ender's Game mecha pilots training center. I really, really expected Ender Wiggins to show up, but fortunately that blonde Russian chick looked enough like the Ender Wiggins character from the recent movie that you didn't really miss him. The girl even gets bullied and beaten up by people. I was just like, okay, so we've got a Transformers 5 beginning. And right at the end of the Transformers 5 beginning, we switch immediately into Ender's game. And then after Ender's Game, we go back and forth between Transformers 5 and Ender's Game for a bit. And then abruptly, like an hour in, you're calling it the first act, I'm calling it other movies, about <laughs> an hour in, they finally start Pacific Rim.
1: Yeah, that you literally have to sit there for an hour while they fail to introduce the wide cast of characters uh, adequately before giant robots really start fighting.
0: Yeah, because an it's, hour. A, it's it's at the, the big secret meeting that nobody's supposed to know about that the mysterious mech with no name shows up that you start getting an actual real throwdown. Which I mean, was
1: actually a really, really cool story point. They could have opened the movie closer to that. Like, yeah, here's this special meeting of important people and there's a mech on standby. Oh, but another mysterious mech comes in and assassinates one of them. Wow, Uh-oh. what a great start to a story. That happened an hour into the story.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I didn't re-watch it before I went and saw the sequel. I should have. To be a better reviewer, I should have gone. I didn't live with it. Um, But the original Pacific Rim, once you got past the vocabulary lesson for non-otaku, where they define kaiju and they define Jaeger, once you got past that, wasn't the very first scene in Alaska with a big mech beating the crap out of a kaiju, wasn't that the very first scene of the movie? Uh, That was it. You you started off the movie doing what you came to the movie to see. I thought that was an excellent way to run a show. It's like, you came here to see giant monsters and giant robots beating the crap out of them, and so we're going to start this movie off with giant monster and a giant robot! I thought that was the to start this kind of movie. I mean, you don't make a romantic comedy and start with the beach scene from Saving Private Ryan and then splice in bits from, I don't know, Neuromancer, let's say. And then finally, halfway through the movie, you introduce the man and woman and they have a meet cute and you're wondering, well, wait a minute. What's happening with all the damn Nazis? Why are we in a cafe in Western Iowa now? It doesn't make any sense. That's what this movie did. They started off the romance with the Saving Private Ryan Beach scene. Now, don't get me wrong, the Saving Private Ryan Beach scene would actually improve most romantic comedies, but it is still. Gloriously out of place. If awesome, it's still out of place. Uh, yeah, yeah, most of these notes are either unintelligible or uh, not worth going back. And plus, we've got somebody more net sound for the audience. There, uh, we've got somebody sitting in the wings, waiting in the green room, right? I,
1: I believe so. Someone who who now knows better than to see Pacific Rim. Or, if I may make a bold suggestion, uh. Go get some lunch and jump into the movie at about the 45-minute mark. (laughs) Just get your ticket, go get some lunch at the food court, and then go see the movie 45 minutes late. Then you'll get the Pacific Rim experience that you paid for.
0: By the way, folks, I did enjoy most of Pacific Rim. Uh, It was a very... It was a—it's a popcorn movie, right? It's light, it's frothy, it's fluffy. I don't want you to take my beginning rant amiss. It is written into my contract that if I do not actually issue a rant at least once every other show, that they can—I lose my bonus for the year. So, I just—I had to get those things off my chest. But they are minor objections in in my mind. Darnall has a, 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 obviously disagrees. But in my mind, those are minor objections. It's a light, frothy popcorn movie that doesn't make it bad. I enjoyed it. I won't see it again, but I didn't waste my money. And I spent full price uh, on the ticket this time. So it wasn't like my – I have this little caveat like I had to do last show. I spent full price money. I saw it. It was fun and enjoyable. If you liked the first one, you'll probably like this one. And uh, I I would recommend people who like the movie, who want to see giant robots and stuff, go see this one. So. Um, well, if you don't have any more, you know, comments or something, is there anybody in the chat we ought to get out of the way with? Any questions in the chat or comments before we jump to Jason?
1: Uh, Barwon Studios and Bradford Walker concur about the first act problem. Awesome. I, I, I had to mention that because they agreed with me, so.
0: Yes, your genius has been reaffirmed on the record because those comments will now be permanent. Uh... On this show, when they come back and watch this show, yay, many years from now, when people come to watch where it all began, they'll be able to see those comments reaffirming your undoubtedly correct opinion. So well,
1: i like, like to think that a, a thousand years from now, digital archaeologists will use these episodes as uh, sort of an indication of our current culture, and they'll study them for years.
0: Or, or maybe, if, 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 if heaven forbid, there is some kind of apocalyptic event that wipes out most of life on planet Earth. Future people, future survivors wandering through the blasted gray and dreary wastes could restore civilization just by listening to the records that remain of this show. It is an awesome responsibility but one we accept with humility and dedication. Jason, how was your week, man?
2: My week was, was pretty good. And you're right, this is a big responsibility. Although I think in a thousand years, all digital content will be considered just lost Beatles songs.
0: Let me ask you a question real quick. Is there anything in my introduction for you... That I missed, that you would like our audience to know.
2: No, I I believe in being mysterious. So the less you say, the better. So that that letter
0: that you sent me from uh, your secret email address at MI6 in the British Intelligence Service, I probably should not mention on the air.
2: Right, yeah, that was just for you to have a proper sense of awe over who you were talking to.
0: I will not mention that on the air. Thank you. Now, from what Nick said, I like jumping back and forth. I love being in the driver's seat. I can just jump, jump, jump to whatever topic crosses my uh, ADD-addled mind. Um, We were talking to Nick a couple weeks ago. You just had a brand-new child. Congratulations. Thank you. Congrats. She's
2: Uh, still pretty new. She still has the new baby smell.
0: And uh, (laughs) you uh, couldn't because you were – uh, sleep deprived or whatever with a little kid brand brand new little kid and so you couldn't come and be on the show with jason we all understood that just not everyone in the audience understood it except for like one guy somewhere in texas and uh, we kicked him out so yeah, everybody I know that guy. understood that um and so we appreciate the chance for you to come back and actually get the discussion we didn't get the first time but on that show Man, that is a long windup to a question. The question itself is really short, but the windup got to be a lot longer than I thought it was. It's not the
2: destination, it's
0: the journey. Is there anything else you should you think we should stick in this wind up to the question, John? No, no. Okay. So when we were talking to Jason, he was, of course, talking about your groundbreaking brand new science fiction, military science fiction series. Galaxy's Edge, which I described on the show as being, what if Star Wars had been written by David Drake? That instead of writing Hammer Slammers, he had been hired to write Star Wars. What would have come out of that script meeting is Galaxy's Edge.
2: I think that's a good, accurate portrayal. That's uh, exactly what, at least with Legionnaire, we were going for. Uh, was saying, we want to put stormtroopers in Afghanistan and see what happens. By the way, we're still in the windup. I haven't actually got to the actual question yet. It's all part It's all part of the Malu. It's fine. It's a
0: legendary, legendary windup. I think this is the longest windup we've had. But to get to the question, and now see, I'm pondering in the back of my mind whether I should just drag this out some more, how irritated I could make the audience before they just quit they quit and rage and like break their tablets over their knees because they can't stand it that I'm just waffling instead of getting to the question. I- I'm not do- going to do that, but I'm thinking of that.
2: Well, I kind of think your goal should be to make this whole show happen and only ask the one question. Ooh, <laughs> that would be awesome.
1: <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that. No. Go. We're, we're putting that on your tombstone. Now, <laughs> daddy war Pig. he was all wind up. No finish. Um, Retro me satanus, get
0: behind me, temptation, no. Um, No, the question is this. What Nick was saying was that when it comes to writing these novels, he's the blithe spirit, the bloodthirsty, and I am interpreting his comments and adding some editorial overtones. I am not exactly, precisely quoting him. So if this language is too colorful, please don't, don't lay it to Nick's charge. He is the bloodthirsty the blithe spirit who um Every time he gets a cool idea in the story, he just wants to run off to the left and run off to the right and run all over the place, even if it violates continuity, even if it completely changes like maybe fundamental assumptions of the universe, whereas you're the person, because you do the primary writing, according to Nick, you're the person who kind of steers him back to the goal of writing the story, steers him back to what it's supposed to be about. Uh, and and also says, well, maybe we don't violate continuity as much as you want to do. Maybe just this little bit. Is was he right? Is he? Am I? Or at least whether he was right or wrong? Am I accurately reflecting the reality of your process?
2: Yeah, that's a fair interpretation. Um, yeah, we kind of say that. Like Nick likes to use Hollywood terminology because he's you know former actor. And uh, so I'm kind of the showrunner for Galaxy's Edge, and we're doing a fantasy project where it's it's much more his baby. But yeah, Galaxy's Edge is kind of my baby, and Nick is just a wellspring of ideas. But sometimes he has an idea that he falls in love with so much that it would be like, and then this happens. And, you know, it's basically, you know, the end of the new heart show, right? Like It's basically like, okay, so everything else was just a dream. He's like, well, maybe, but it's cool. And, you know, so, so that is that is accurate. Um, I am a big kind of canon geek, and continuity is important to me. I I was like uh, big into the expanded universe for Star Wars, and I and I spent a lot of time memorizing that, which has now been stricken from the record. So it makes sense to me for everything to build on top of each other. I think anyone who kind of grew up with what like comics or or things like that, you get this weird obsessive just. Fixation on continuity, and well, would this character really do this? Is that really right because three hundred issue ago you know that's that's how I am what um,
0: now I went and bought the book that you mentioned on a different podcast that inspired uh Legionnaire mm-hmm. the mostly true story of house to house battles in Fallujah, right? Fallujah, okay. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it yet because as you heard while I was doing our pre-show discussion, I am insanely busy pretty much all day. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Nick is, is, of all the people I know, he's almost the hardest working guy, almost the hardest working writer I know, and writers as a whole. But folks, you got to know this, okay? I'm going to tell you this. If you're not a writer, you will learn this, and, and you want to take it to heart. Every single writer you ever met, if they're actually a writer, they are the busiest people you know. They are busier than everybody else you have ever met, than any other professional you have ever met, okay? John C. Wright, busy all the time. Nick Cole, busy all the time. Larry Korea, busy all the time. Writers are never off the clock, ever. Now... There was a something I was going to. There was a point to that. I got lost in my own brilliant thoughts, my own well, brilliance.
1: Well, I don't know except for Nick maybe because judging by his Facebook feed, he all he does is drink bourbon and let Jason do all the work.
0: No, no, no. Donuts, donuts. You forgot the donuts.
1: Yeah, donuts.
2: And he has Good. a he, he he goes and helps out his wife. Occasionally. Yeah, he helps her. He helps her get to the operas. Whose
0: whose and... name is Nicole,
2: right? Isn't that great? Nick and Nicole <laughs> Cole. Wow. <laughs>
0: Her first name is his entire name. I don't know how they arranged that, but I'm sure they were chortling over the cuteness when they were going to the to register at uh, wherever it is, the donut shop. I'm sure that's where Nick registered for his wedding. We are so far away from the point I wanted to make. I don't even remember what country the point I wanted to make is in.
1: Uh, something about our our wonderful guests being busy.
0: Yes, but there was something after that. There was was some interesting question, the answer to which would have provided our audience some entertainment and some education. Now, don't get me wrong. I gave them a little bit of education about the writers are busy spiel, so they know. Writers are always busy. Even I, who am not a professional or published writer, am busy all the time. Nick is busy all the time, and when I wrote To Nick one day, because he sent out this email asking, oh, by the way, what are you doing? I listed all the things I had done in the last week or so. He said, wow, you are really busy. So Nick, who's a super busy writer, said that I was impressively busy. That's how much more busier than super busy writers I am. But that... I've actually completed that loop. I've closed that loop. I've made the point I want to make. But even so, that point was just a small point undergirding a more fundamental
1: point, which I've completely
0: forgotten. And it's your fault. I don't know
1: why, but it's your fault. I can't help you. I kind of tuned out and started thinking about myself.
2: Oh. Yeah, I started thinking about House to House and whether I should reread that book again.
1: Ever
0: since you started dancing with pretty women, you've, be- you've become quite self-absorbed. Have you noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jason save us from this conversational morass say something interesting
1: I, J- jason i think you confused someone in, in the in the chat by talking about this being your fantasy project
2: so oh no you, oh yeah yeah no well so this that well it kind of depends on what you mean by fantasy so this is my fantasy project in the sense of this is what i always always wanted to write and um when i was talking to nick about it and we were talking about doing collaboration and the advantage in writing and marketing that could come from that he was kind of like oh yeah sure i like star wars um when i talk about fantasy in the epic sense that's something that we're working on right now that hasn't been published yet um oh, which which is going to be our on spock and cole epic fantasy are, are, um, are and you that doing... that's nick's nick's baby are, are you doing something that's like
0: star wars not star wars but with another big huge property
2: I don't know that it's going to be that, necessarily. You know, Nick had kicked around the idea of Tolkien, not Tolkien, but he was going high art, like legitimate Tolkien, not Tolkien. Um, I I was hoping
0: you'd say, like, Game of Thrones, not Game of Thrones, because that would be awesome. If the two of you got together uh, to write Game of Thrones, not Game of Thrones, that would be rad.
2: I think that would be closer to what we're looking to do. Certainly a a D&D vibe. You you guys know Nick is an absolute D&D junkie. Like, he would leave his family and just play D&D in between naps for the rest of his life, if yeah, that I, was tenable.
1: I, I, think, I think when we had him on the show, it was we were talking about D&D before the show, and he said, yeah, we don't have to talk about the books so much.
2: Let's just talk gaming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that, that's him completely. So, so um, I think that what, what we're working on is going to be perhaps some of that, but more the epic D&D campaign that's been in his mind forever, turning into a series of novels. Um, let me ask you: As far as
0: do, should we stay on the galaxy's edge? Thanks. I do have a couple of questions for it, but is that yeah. getting too boring? Have we have we plumbed the depths of that yet?
1: Well, I I haven't read it, so so I like to hear more about
2: We're it. I haven't read it. Awful
1: any- human being. I don't it's read.
2: Terrible, it's, terrible. No, it's, it's, encouraging. it's encouraging. I don't even listen. That people listen. haven't read it yet. I'm, I'm really more people to buy it. I'm really.
1: I'm really excited that you guys have audiobooks now, so that I have one more uh, product to not listen to. I, I think <laughs> listening to books is worse than than reading them. Uh, there was one exception. I, I, I'm curious to know who you got to read the books because uh, I did listen to the first series of Unfortunate Events, which they got Tim Curry to mm-hmm. read, and that that was. I mean, if you're gonna have someone read your books, yeah, Tim Curry's high on my list.
2: Yeah, we ha- we got Oprah.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. So and, really, you okay. Blaster, okay.
2: and you get a blaster, and you get a blaster. Exactly. Which is essentially the climax of, of the first book, anyway. So, oh, I, I really did like that
0: first book. Although the first book made me kind of chuckle uh, at the space opera description the series of the, <laughs> being space opera. I'm like, this is not space opera. The second book was more space opera-y, but the third went back to not being space opera. So, so you guys are, are, you are going to burn in a genre hell for mislabeling your books.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing about that, about the way that worked is initially our, our book one was Galactic Outlaws, which was released as book two. And that is, is a good space opera uh, story. Um, what I was writing when, when I wrote Legionnaire was initially going to be a standalone. And then it was going to turn into kind of like a, a little trilogy, just, hey, I'm going to follow some Legionnaires. And that book was finished first. And we had our art and we were about ready to launch. And we said, well, hey, let's, let's, let's launch Legionnaire and see how it goes. Let's test our theories on marketing. Let's test our theories on publishing with this book. And if we have anything to learn, like if we make mistakes, then we'll be ready for launching Galactic Outlaws. And, uh, and then Legionnaire just exploded and just blew apart. And we weren't expecting it to take off the way it took off. So Galactic Outlaws was connected, but it was connected much later down the line. Like Legionnaire was sort of written as, hey, this will be a good way that readers can delve in and find out more history about where these characters came from. Um, So we said, Okay, well, now we've got to get something out there. Galactic Outlaws was what was ready. And so we said, Well, this is going to jump a bit, but we've got to strike while the iron is hot. And so we made some rewrites to make the connection a little bit more clear and released it. And then book three was what was initially going to be book two in that side separate series following the Legionnaires. And so we spent a lot of, like, time grinding and talking and reworking everything to figure out, okay, how can we make this all work together? Because now, as Nick liked to say, we're riding the back of the tiger, and the one thing we can't do is let go.
0: See, I think that you guys uh, may have benefited unintentionally from that confusion because I'll have to disagree with you. I think you're wrong. Oh, Um, well, maybe I am. That happens a lot. I think Legionnaire was the perfect brook to start the series with, and I'll tell you why. Good. Every every single event that takes place in the series all revolves around the theme of how corrupt the Republic is, how corrupt the Senate is, how corrupted uh, the, uh, the Navy uh, has become, and how the Legion is expected to almost carry the weight for all of government and society in the galaxy, mm-hmm. and it's crumbling under the weight, and the perfect way to introduce that theme, the underlying series of events that happened, all happened because of that. Legionnaire was the perfect way to introduce that. I think if Legionnaire had not, and it illustrated it far more vividly than anything else that I can imagine you uh, you would have done. Mm -hmm. And so starting off with Legionnaire, not only did you get the origin story of all these characters and they all go in different directions from here. Devers goes in a different direction and Wraith goes in a different direction. And you know, the squad goes in a different direction um, and uh, is XO goes in a different direction. And so you established where they all came from, where they were all united and then sent them off into the galaxy. And it perfectly established why the senate is corrupted perfectly established all the things that happened later in the series and so i do think that legionnaire was the best book to begin with
2: right well like i said it was all intentional and that's how i planned it the whole time <laughs> brilliant awesome
0: now you had talked um on, again, another podcast I listened to you on, and I I have no idea. If I knew which podcast it was, I'd give them a shout-out. I'd be um, really, really polite. But you had talked about your prior series to this. You're not quite, almost, almost a successful series, uh, which was a comedy, right?
2: Yeah. It was, well, I mean, it was like the, you know, authors, we kind of like to laugh about a series that doesn't find its market, and we say, oh, it was genre-bending. But, so this one was, like, uh, a historical paranormal detective humor novel with you know n- noir mixed into it. So it was set in the 1950s, right where I live in Tacoma, um, and it was just about a guy who joined the military, fought in World War II. It looks like we might have. Uh... I,
1: I think he, I think he mashed the mute button.
2: <laughs> okay,
0: yeah, he is muted. <laughs> something clever and awesome to say this is your stick man i'm just here i'm the sidekick go go go
1: uh, well i mean he mentioned that he's in he's in tacoma so i think maybe it's a security measure to prevent him from giving away too much personal information on the show by accident
0: is is tacoma really as awful as you guys were
1: saying before the show you weren't leading me on were no, you no it's it smells it, it really does it, it comes right up from the sound right up from the sound and it's it's sort of at least you know for a long a lot of its history it's like a, a sister city to seattle and and they both compete for business at the port and they competed for you know years and years uh, i right. I believe they've had some sort of agreement for the past few decades, but I'm a little fuzzy on the history. I've only lived in the area for six years
2: yeah, well, Tacoma still has Washington natives like Seattle is. Seattleites, they're not Washingtonians anymore. Like, I think there's almost as many people from out of town. So they're losing their Washington cred.
0: What I thought was hilarious about you guys describing Seattle is that all the refugees who can't afford the high prices in Seattle are fleeing to Tacoma. So everywhere else in the country, rich, hipster assholes move into a neighborhood and price everything too high and the natives have to flee. They call this gentrification. Mm -hmm. But in Seattle... They just live there, and everybody else is fleeing Seattle. It's reverse gentrification. They're not moving in. Everybody else is just moving out. It's awesome. The hipsters have finally concentrated their mass so densely in three urban locales, because this is also happening in San Francisco, that they are literally repelling every other form of life. They are being ejected at high speed. If, if you stand too close to Seattle, you can see middle class and upper middle class people being flung out of the city at the speed of sound because this negative mass of hipsters has overwhelmed the normal force of gravity in the Seattle area. It's awesome to contemplate.
1: And if you're, if you're talking about Seattle hipsters, I think repel is the correct word.
2: Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that.
1: Before we had the tiny
0: little... Well, I felt good now. Now we know what the uh, technical problem is for this episode. I,
1: I'm glad we got it out of the way at the end of the episode, yeah.
0: So, uh, before we had a tiny little technical problem, you were talking about your... Uh, he went to World War II, and then things went muted and then after disappeared. That.
2: And, yeah. then it, and then I just left it to your imagination. <laughs> right, so he, stay, he stayed on through the Marshall Plan. He comes back. Everybody's married, and the baby boom's going on. And he needs to make a name for himself. He decides to do it by becoming a private investigator, helping returns, which are ghosts that sort of come back after death. It's like commonplace. Like no one thinks twice about a ghost coming back. It's just part of heaven's administrative side. You know, before you check in and go to your final destination, you kind of go through customs. And it's like, I forgot to tell my wife where the keys were. All right, we'll go back and tell her. Um, That's how this world is.
0: I want to defend myself real quick. It may be true that I lost my own conversational thread earlier in the show, Mm -hmm. but in what you just saw there over the last three or four minutes is not only did I remember Jason's conversational thread so that I as a good host can allow him to pick it up. I remembered the exact words of what he was saying throughout all that nonsense of Tacoma and Seattle and everything else while we were waiting for the technical problem to get addressed. I remembered the exact words he was saying when he cut off and, went right back to them and pulled it up and started a conversation. Now, I know that the unusually intelligent and attractive members of our audience will no doubt know this already, will no doubt have noticed that already, but that is for new people to the show. I may have besmirched my reputation by losing track of my own conversation earlier, but I think I have fully redeemed myself. Gold dang it.
1: It's the mark of a true professional. You're the professionalist.
0: It sounds like something that would be hard to boil down to a quick and easy sell on Kindle Unlimited or Amazon. And now don't get me wrong. It sounds fascinating, but it sounds like it'd be hard to boil down unless you went the urban fantasy route. Just tell people straight out, this is a historical urban fantasy. Urban fantasy in the 1950s and then wave all the other complicated stuff away. Just focus on that.
2: Yeah, that's it. And it's had its most success being marketed as a humor book. Um, but that's exactly it. So, so that, that series is one of those series. And there's probably a lot of authors that have similar experiences where they wrote, uh, some very good books, but it just didn't connect with an audience either because they didn't know which audience to send it to, or because there was just too much. Um, you know, that one I launched like every other author launches. I know Nick talks a lot about this last time, but just sort of like, Hey, who wants to buy this book? I was excited for it to be out and it surged for a while and then it died. And then I remarketed it and it surged some more, but the same problem would happen over and over again. Um, now I know why, you know, I didn't pick one genre and I didn't try to target it specifically to those genre readers and deliver what they were looking for. But that, that's what happened to those, that trilogy of books. It's, it's still fondly looked at. Um, it'll be put into audiobook hopefully this year. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. So that was my, my trial run at, at writing. And it went well. I think it went better than what I expected, which was for it to sit and sell like two copies to my family and then just sort of fade away. Um, I think the first book sold 10,000 copies total um, the last time I really checked. But Galaxy's Edge blew up and now that's what I'm doing. But there's still this dedicated group of of readers who will email me every once in a while and say, you know, are we going to get a book for and sort of like... (laughs) There is there's a financial metric to to using your time, and and book four will eventually pay for its cover. But that's about as much as I'd expect.
0: I, I was that guy for the Primal Order. Uh, it's a role playing supplement published mm-hmm. by Peter Darley, who founded Wizards of the Coast. It's actually published by Wizards of the Coast a couple of years before Magic. So this is when they were a tiny nowhere company that no one had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. I bought their first project. I loved their first or product. I loved their first product, and I was so. Uh, I was so enthralled by the product that at Gen Con in 1997, so this is now like four years after Magic has come out. Four years after Magic came out, took over the company, they were announcing they had bought D&D, they paid for the Violent Femmes to come and do a concert because it was Gen Con's 30th anniversary. I was there. I saw the Violent Femmes in concert. I had to go to freaking Gen Con to do it, but I gotta see the Violent Femmes in concert. It was awesome. But, I was that guy who Magic didn't care about. They bought Dungeons & Dragons, which had been bankrupt. TSR was bankrupt. They bought TSR. Dungeons & Dragons was about to go away. It it, it is an event with literally world-shaking ramifications in the role-playing industry. I didn't care. All I wanted to know was if Peter Darley, I can't believe I actually... I, I asked this question. I didn't get a chance to ask it of him, but I asked it of a, wizard, of a Wizards of the Coast staffer. If Peter Darley was going to, having made the Primal Order, if he was going to create other systems for the governmental order, the underworld order, the military order, that were mentioned in the Primal Order, and I, I, I should have realized that the answer was going to be no, that the answer was always going to be no, that as soon as they started making Magic the Gathering money... <laughs> <laughs> They were never going back to getting sued by Kevin Sambita again.
2: (laughs) But you still hold out hope.
0: I I actually do. I really seriously, honestly do. I'm not lying. That's not a bit. That's not a joke. In the back of my mind, every now and then, I wonder what it would have been like if he had been able to make it. Because the primal order is one of the single best Role playing supplements that have ever been produced in terms of concepts that will, uh, are extremely useful. I'm not going to go into it, I'm not going to sell you on it, but, um, and the primal order, the approach to deities in the primal order influences me today to where the big secret project, one of the core planks underneath one of the core planks of the secret project. So there's big secret project, little core plank, the core plank underneath that is. The primal order. Hmm.
2: So there it is. So there it is. Yeah, but but at least you understand, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the difficulty. Say you only have so much time, and you can do something that will be a very profitable use of your time, or something that is not quite so profitable.
0: You, you have the exact same problem that Peter Darley did. On one hand, you have Magic the Gathering, which is like crack money. It's like crack addict money, right? Mm-hmm, you're, sure. you're, you're getting more money than Mexican drug cartels or, or Central American drug cartels. Or on the other hand, you have this uh, really, really niche, never very popular, gotcha sued by Palladium product that really nobody talks about except that kid over there who is so excited by it that he can't even tell you. You're exactly, you're, 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 I mean, maybe you're not making quite as much money as Magic the Gathering is, but you're in that choice. Huh, do the thing that's never going to give me any money or do the thing that will enable me to buy
2: several new houses. But, but, you know, and, and, and that is really the dilemma, but, you empathize with that kid because I think we've all been that kid like so so i don't i I feel bad shutting down that kid because I've been there, right like I remember when uh magic was hot and everybody was playing magic, and I would be like, "But don't you guys want to play the decipher star wars c c g which was big in its own right and then um <laughs> and then that goes out and dies with the prequels I'm like well we we can still play you know <laughs> just nobody to <laughs>
0: I've got friends who who play, uh, I think it's on the edge or over the edge. One of them is the role-playing game. One of them is a the collectible card game. They mm-hmm. love the collectible card game, um, and nobody played it uh, just a couple years after it came back. And now it's been 20 years later, mm-hmm. and he still loves that game and wishes he could find people to play it. And I'll tell you why. This is the thing he loved the most about it. You know, everybody and their, and their dog was hawking um, Magic the Gathering cards, and they were like in pristine condition. That was really mm-hmm. important. You were getting tons of money. Well, what Over the Edge did is part of the rules of the game. You could not play the game unless you went through the deck and signed every card individually, uniquely. Interesting. And then what you would do is you would do an ante like they used to do for Magic the Gathering, where you right. would pick a card out of your deck. They would pick a card out of their deck, and then whoever won got that card. Well, they got a card if, let's say, you lost. They got a card, not that you would lose. I mean, obviously, you would be way too skilled to lose. So let's say I lost. That other person would get a card with my unique signature on it, and then they would sign it with their unique signature. And it would go into their deck, and they could play with it and maybe lose it to someone else. I have seen cards with, like, eight people signing it. Um, You became part of this little community, Mm -hmm. and... You built this community by losing your cards and gaining other cards, and your deck was constantly changing. And every time you pulled out your deck, you had an utterly unique deck that was utterly uniquely yours that um, was signed by all the people that you ever won against. Mm -hmm. Um, And he loved that part of it. That was almost better than all the mechanics of the game, which he also liked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I get that. I do. Right. Now, that's a cool concept.
1: That's one of the best uh, ideas I've heard for a game.
0: Um, okay, we have got about we've got about three more minutes with you before we have to jump into Peter Rabbit. Oh yeah, Peter Rabbit. I saw it. It was an accident. I'll tell you why. Um, but I, I'd like you to hold on till after the show, and we'll uh, we'll uh, to ask you a couple questions. Uh, but before we do that, is there we can give you fully three minutes for anything you want to say. Uh, well, I, mean,
1: I, I have one really quick question. Yeah. Uh, first about the about the paranormal detective story. Yep. Which sounds awesome. I would be one of those fans if I read books. Um, is, is the name of the series Ghost Dick?
2: It is not. It is not. It's funny, but it's not that kind of funny.
1: Okay. Because now in my mind, it's Ghost Dick.
2: And, and, and really, if I were to rebrand it and, and just, go, just go a little bit, a little bit edgier, because it's written like a wholesome 1950s stage play. Like it's, it's a very Uh, wholesome, like a radio show, communist punching radio adventure, like Harvey, Harvey, the rabbit. Uh, Yeah. A bit like that. Not, not quite so surreal, but that, that type of humor, um, it, it draws from all of that. Um, I wanted to write something that felt like really good to read, but was still funny. Still had an edge and had a message, which is communists are terrible.
0: I, I'm trying to remember all the 1950 plays I know, and the only two that are coming to mind are Harvey and Death of a Salesman, and I'm pretty sure neither of them were actually made in the 50s.
2: No, and and I think I, I use stage play, but really the, the 1950s style of comedy or musical. Oh, that's, yeah. That, that's that's more in keeping with its art. Okay. So, folks, you can get Galaxy's Edge on Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. Just do a search for Jason Onspock
0: or Nick Cole. Again, I, I recommend it. You do have to – I've had several friends of mine, uh, who had the same difficulty with the series that I do? Nick is occasionally, at times, very dark, and a couple of the places he goes to might be too dark uh, for you. But if you've read Nick's other stuff, it's it's you'll be prepared for that. So mm-hmm. just you have to you just have to be prepared for a couple of dark things. If you don't like them, I've got good friends of mine that have been reading the series and didn't like them, and so stopped. Just be forewarned. So I would recommend you at least try it out, um, and, but be forewarned it does get a little bit darker than you might expect
2: yeah, it's it's a I mean, we we always steer away from uh, we have a personal a belief that we we steer away from blasphemy. We steer away from you know language, uh, using using foul language. That's a sliding scale for people, but we wouldn't have a movie that was rated R. I don't think if they were to take dialogue for dialogue. Um, but, yeah, especially by the time you get to book three, things start to get like much more grim as as, as uh, Nick likes to say, he shows people how the stakes are made, <laughs> and and that 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 seems to have impacted people. All right. Um,
0: I don't know what to do about Peter Rabbit um, because there are two opinions that I can give you, and both of them are true. The first of opinion let – me, let me do the story first because I built up the story. I've mentioned it twice. It's a hilarious story for me, and I'm the one who did it. I, I was excited. I was – eager. I loved the opportunity of going and seeing Pacific Rim, and I wanted to go see it so I could review it for the show. And I dashed to my room that day, and I was in a lot of hurry. I'd just gotten done with a lot of stuff because I'm busy. I may have mentioned that. And I sit down at my desk, and I've got my computer in front of me, and you have to realize my computer was missing for four days last week. It was gone. It was not here. I was having to do every single damn thing I needed to do on my phone. All of my blog posts done on my phone. All of my Twitter done on my phone. All of the emails I didn't answer, I was not answering them on my phone. So I had my computer back. Finally, I had a real web browser with an actual screen resolution that was bigger than the palm of my hand. And I was sitting down at my real computer and I uh, was very, very busy and I wanted to see what time this movie might be playing. So I checked and quite clearly underneath the movie, it said one. 50. And that was in like 20 or 30 minutes. So I dashed out my room. I ran upstairs. I took a shower. I came back. I got dressed. I went to the movie theater. And by gum and by golly, I am going to watch Pacific Rim so I can review it for the show. I send out tweets. I send out stuff on Facebook. I announce it on Gab. I announce it on Google Plus. I am standing in the line announcing this because I am going to watch Pacific Rim. One slight teeny tiny problem. 150 was not the Showtime of Pacific Rim, 150 was the length of Pacific Rim. It's one hour and 50 minutes long and I will remember that for the rest of my life. (laughs) Uh. It's playing, not at 150. Not at 250, not at 350 or 450 or 550 or 650. It's playing at 725 that night, which I couldn't go see because I got to get home because I'm busy and I've got stuff to do. So I say to the guy, I've got to be home by four hard target can't stay later than four i say to the guy what movies do you have that get out before four o'clock pm and he looks at his little chart on the computer and he says peter rabbit and i said no no really what movies do you have that get out By 4 p.m., and he says, Peter Rabbit. And I said, no, no, I am not doing it. I am not watching Peter Rabbit. And I ran across the street to Five Guys Burger and Fries, and I was mad because I couldn't see Pacific Rim. And the only reason I couldn't see Pacific Rim was because I made a mistake. And I ordered a double bacon cheeseburger because that's how mad I was. That twice as much meat and twice as much bacon was going to be the only thing to keep me from tearing holes in somebody's wall. From knocking buildings down. So I ate my hamburger. I ate some fries. I drank some nice cold water. And I went back to the theater. And I was quiet. And I was humble. And I was there in line literally one minute before the movie began. And I said, Can I get a ticket? to Peter Rabbit, please. And so I paid for the ticket. It was $7 and change. I'm still mad about that. Not so much about the time of the movie, just mad about that. Seven bucks I paid. And I walked to the theater to watch something that was absolutely not Beatrix Potter's book about Peter Rabbit, what it was, was not a children's movie, even though it looked like a children's movie and had music like a children's movie. What it was, was a romantic comedy, a romantic comedy between General Hux, right? General Hux, that, um, Red haired ginger guy who is now apparently contractually obligated to be in every single movie I go see, General Hucks and Moira McTaggart. Now, that last reference might be a little bit obscure for you. I'm referring to actress Rose Byrne, who was in X Men First Class as Moira McTaggart. Rose Byrne. And General Hooks, and I would use his real name, except I can't ever remember it. I can't. I mean, he's not bad. He's a great actor. I actually like him as an actor. I just can't remember his name. I watched them have a romantic comedy that was at the same time a science fiction horror movie. I am not making this up. The Rabbits talk. The rabbits understand English. The rabbits kill one person in the movie, his uncle. And then he receives in a letter saying, your great uncle, who you've never heard of, suddenly died of a heart attack in his vast mansion in the middle of nowhere. A letter shows up from an uncle you never knew existed, who died suddenly and unexpectedly of a heart attack and left you a vast manor house in the countryside, ladies and gentlemen, you have not won the lottery. You are in a horror movie. And the horror movie you are in is one where the animals understand English, and are intelligent and are trying to kill you. They set traps with like little uh, rabbit traps that snap shut on his bottom and his limbs. They set up electricity to electrocute him. If you can imagine everything that's in Home Alone, only instead of being burglars trying to break into a little kid's house, It's this poor bastard. This poor bastard from the city being attacked by a bunch of rabbits who are trying to murder him. That is not a children's movie. That is not a romantic comedy. That is horror. And I was horrified that I had to watch this thing. Finally, at the end of the movie... We got to see the credits, which were a godsend to me because it meant the thing was finally over. I was happy to see the credits. And the fact that I had missed going to Pacific Rim no longer bothered me because I found new people I could be bothered by. I was, I wrote four four pages of notes for this review and I haven't used any of them because I just don't care enough to remember specific details other than the ones I have given you. So, so if what I have told you makes you seem like you want to go see Peter Rabbit, go for it. Knock yourself out. Go see Peter Rabbit, love it and enjoy it. If not, if not, Go see Pacific Rim, because it really is a much better movie. Any last thoughts, all, before we take off?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about Pacific Rim, but uh, it was a great show with you guys. I'd like to thank everybody in the chat for hanging out and chatting with us, and special thanks to Mr. OnSpock for joining us for a lively discussion. Special, your welcomes.
0: I uh, very much appreciate you agreeing to come on the show. Very much appreciating it when superstar sci-fi writers, again, uh, agree to come on our little podcast and become part of the tale of this show before we go on to conquer the universe. Uh, that was my alarm telling me I'm busy and I need to go conquer the universe now. Sorry about that, folks. Um, thanks for tuning in. This is Geek Gab, and uh, we're back about every week at about this same time that is 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can find us on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab if we're not. Uh, If you're not on YouTube because you were uh, angry, angry, angry about their recent policy changes banning certain videos from the site, by all means, you can catch us through the Apple iTunes store. Or if you're mad at Apple, if you are angry at Apple for whatever it is that Apple did as far as whatever, you can catch us on the Google Play Store. Now, if you're also angry at Google for spying on you, don't you worry. We are available also on SoundCloud. So no matter how many companies are screwing you over, we are available. At least until SoundCloud does something bad and you stop wanting to go to their site too. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are leaving for today. But for next
2: week, we will be back.